Well, good morning, and I welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, as we continue our back-to-school worship series, Oxymorons of Faith. And we have seen, and the bumper video illustrated, that oxymorons are figures of speech that take contradictory terms and put them together. Some secular examples include negative income, random order, soft rock, student teacher. We, in August, are looking at some oxymorons of faith, contradictions that the Christian faith holds in tension. Last week, we talked about minor miracles, and this morning, servant leadership. Our scripture lesson comes from Matthew chapter 20, beginning with verse 25. As you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the gospel. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. Would you please be seated? Blake Mikowski is an American success story. The teenager attended SMU on a tennis scholarship, and while he was there, started a door-to-door laundry service for his fellow students called Easy Laundry. It expanded to seven different campuses. He eventually sold out to his partner, moved to Nashville, and began an outdoor media company. Nine months later, he sold it to Clear Channel. Then he and his sister Paige participated in the second season of CBS's Amazing Race. They came within four minutes of winning the $1 million prize. He was so impressed by the experience, he started his own TV channel, Reality 24-7, and then a driver's education program online. In 2006, he was vacationing in Argentina and first saw a peasant footwear with a rope sole called the Alpregata. He also was in some extremely poor regions where many of the children had never worn shoes, and it was common for them to cut their feet and get infections. He came back to the States and began a new company called Tom's Shoes with a very unusual business model. For every pair sold, they gave a pair away. He eventually sold his majority share in 2014, but the entrepreneur has continued to spin off different businesses, and almost all of them have the same theme of an altruistic bent, that he has done well by doing good. Our oxymoron for the day is servant leader, and that is not how our world understands leadership. Out in the world, leadership tends to be hierarchical. There's boss and bossed, supervisor and supervisees. And yet we discover in today's scripture that Jesus turns the world's values upside down, topsy-turvy, in order to make them right side up. Whenever I read the Gospels, I'm always intrigued some of the stories that made the cut 
because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had to edit the material ahead of before them, and some of the stories they tell, including this morning's, does not put the original apostles in a very good light. Jesus and the twelve are traveling to Jerusalem, and he has told them repeatedly that he will die at journey's end, crucified, and then be buried. But they just can't hear what he's saying. And during a rest stop, there's a group of three people that approach Jesus. Two of them are James and John. They were the sons of Zebedee, close friends of Jesus. He nicknamed them the sons of thunder. This was not a meek, mild pair. But these rough, gruff fishermen were led by the hand by their mother. We don't know what Mrs. Zebedee's first name was. We do know she traveled with the disciples and was at the foot of the cross with that small group of women when Jesus died. There is some evidence that at least suggests she might have been the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. If so, this adds a whole other nuance to the story. These are his cousins. She is his aunt. And she comes to Jesus and says, would you do me a favor? Now, you can call me paranoid. Actually, I am paranoid. But I get real nervous when somebody wants an undefined favor. And so Jesus asked her, what do you want? Remember the nuance. If they're related, this is her saying, sweet nephew, would you do your favorite aunt a little favor? And she says, oh, it's not much, really. I just want, when you come into your power and glory, to put my two boys on your right and left-hand side. Nothing much, really. In the kingdom of God, I want them to be the two chief people after you. You've got to love mothers. But Jesus looks at her and says, you don't know what you're asking. She didn't know what she was asking for two reasons. This was a death march they were on. And in essence, she was asking that her two boys occupy the cross on Jesus' right and left-hand side. But she also didn't understand what true leadership was like in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus gathered the rest of the disciples together, and they are furious with James and John. They're not furious at the request. They are furious that James and John beat them to it. And he says to them, whoever wants to be great among you, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. Fast forward weeks ahead. Jesus and the twelve gather in an upper room for a Passover meal in Jerusalem. It's only in retrospect they realize this is the last supper they will share together. And the disciples are still arguing over who is the greatest. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story of the institution of the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. John focuses on a different aspect of that evening. He describes how Jesus shed his outer robe, wrapped a towel around him, took a basin of water, and began washing the disciples' feet. It was common in that culture for Jews, Greeks, and Romans when guests arrived at a door to have a basin of water, a towel, and a chair where people could wash the dust of the road off their feet. 
If it was a wealthy host, then they might have a servant standing there doing it for the guest. But Jesus serves neither as host nor as guest, but as the servant. It was a very uncomfortable moment for the 12. And then Jesus looked at them and said, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash each other's feet. For I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. And over the years, in various times and places, there have been traditions within the life of the church who have adopted foot washing services as a regular part of their worship. And at the culmination of our worship service today, we will not be doing that. I have participated in foot washing services. I have washed other people's feet. I've had my feet washed. I'm not sure which is more uncomfortable. And it's one of those oddities of the United Methodist Church, along with most of Protestantism, that we define the sacraments of the church by two criteria. Did Jesus command it, and is it available to all? And by those norms, foot washing ought to be a sacrament along with Holy Communion and baptism. But it never gained traction in the mainline church because, and this is a theological term, it has a high yuck factor. <laughs> Who wants to wash somebody's feet? Who wants to have their feet washed? We want to be firstest with the mostest. Wherever we are, we want to be in charge and be at the head of the line. And it begins really early. There's a story about uh, two little boys on a Saturday morning were waiting for their mother to cook pancakes. And they began to argue over who was going to get the first stack. And the mother, as a good Christian, saw this as a teaching opportunity. And so she said to her boys, if Jesus was here, he would let his brother have the first stack of pancakes. And they mulled over that theological lesson, and finally the older one sighed and said, okay, Timmy, I'll let you be Jesus this morning. Be Jesus this morning. See, he was going to get the first, never mind. 830 crowd found that a whole lot more funny than you did. Isn't that who we are? We camouflage it a little bit better as teenagers and adults but we want to be first. We see it in Jesus' ministry. It continued in the life of the early church, one of the first crises that the leaders of the church in Jerusalem faced in Acts chapter 6 was one of those details in the church people should not have had to argue about. There were two groups of widows in the congregation. One were of Aramaic descent. The other were of Greek descent. And like their Jewish tradition, the church cared for widows who did not have family to support them. But they began squabbling with one another, each saying the other was getting more food, money, and attention. And the apostles said, this is ridiculous. We have been tasked with proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't tend to such internal squabbling. And so in a brilliant managerial decision, they made it somebody else's problem. They asked the church to select and to set aside seven persons of high spirit and wisdom to serve in the role as deacon. 
And I want you to think for a moment. This is the church emerging. This organization, this structure has not yet been set into place. Deacons will be second only to the apostles leading the church. Do you know what their job description was? Waiting on tables and handling the money. If you think that's a glamorous job in the life of the church, I invite you to come volunteer Wednesday night at our family supper or join the ushers when they go to the counting room and count today's offering. Deacon literally meant one who serves. And that tradition has continued in the church today. Now, it looks different in various denominations. In the Baptist church, deacons are typically laypersons who are elected to help guide the congregation. In the Roman Catholic Church, they are those who are tasked with helping to administer the sacraments. In the United Methodist Church, they are persons who are ordained to word, service, compassion, and justice. And in our own church here at Northside, we have uh, three deacons. We have uh, Reverend Sarah, Reverend Catherine, Reverend Angela, all of whom serve within the life of the church. But you can make a strong case that the spirit of deaconhood is one for all of us that we are all called to be people who serve, to kneel with Jesus as servant leaders and to show the love of God by setting ourselves aside and putting others' interests at a forefront. And this morning, part of what I want to encourage you to envision, what would it look like in very concrete terms to be a servant leader at home, Work, school, church, community? What would it look like to be a servant leadership in your household? And everyone here is different. Some are single, married, some have children at home, some are caring for aging parents. There's an old adage, charity begins at home. How can you serve your family members? When I'm doing premarital counseling, one of the verses I like to share with couples is uh, Paul's words, outdo one another in love. If you think relationships are going to be 50-50, you're going to be sorely disappointed. And the moment you start trying to keep track and keep score, you're going to be in trouble. Servant leaders give 100% of themselves to the other. And if you're in a contest of outdoing one another in love, that's a contest where everybody wins. What would it look like for you to be a servant leader at school or at work? of exhibiting that spirit of Jesus with coworkers or with fellow students. How are we servant leaders here at the church? We have a vast variety of ways to be involved, and you hear about them every week. One of the things we're emphasizing today is next Sunday is Mission Sunday. And at 1010, we will gather in the Fellowship Hall Intergenerational, and we will put together supplies for many of the ministerial strategic partners we have, and it's a great family opportunity. Family, your family, and as church family, totally as an aside, has nothing to do with a sermon. Next week at 9 o'clock, Bishop Robin Deese will be joining us in worship. She's going to be sitting with you in the congregation. Please come. Invite your friends. This will be the first opportunity our congregation has to meet her, and she'll be with us at 1010 as well, but I, I want you to have the opportunity to greet her. And if you have the chance, tell her what a wonderful clergy staff we have here. <laughs> yeah, I know, that was a shameless plug. I, how do we serve? Where 
in this church and in this community, is there a ministry or mission that has your name all over it? And that God is calling you to be a servant leader. Many of you are familiar with the name of Martha Berry. She was born in 1866 outside of Rome, Georgia, to a very wealthy family in that region. And if she had followed uh, the culture of her times, she would have grown up to a life of wealth and of ease. An encounter with some illiterate mountain children changed the entire trajectory of her life. She invited these boys and girls to come to her playhouse where she taught them Sunday school. And over time, that expanded to teaching them the three R's of reading, writing, and arithmetic. And that became the origin of what today is known as Berry College. And early in its history, poor mountain children who could not afford school could go there and work their way through the program and graduate four, five, six years later with a Bachelor of Arts or a Bachelor of Science. And it transformed Rome and Georgia and the region and the nation. And you can make a case, the world... Martha Berry had a very simple personal motto. And if you visit the campus, it is inscribed in granite on Trustees Hall. And it echoes today's scripture lesson. Not to be ministered unto, but to minister. We're called to be servant leaders, to kneel beside Jesus and do well by doing good. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the love that you have shown to us. And we allow that love to flow through us to others. You have set us an example. As you washed your disciples' feet, you call us to kneel beside you in service to others. Teach us what it means to be servant leaders in our homes, at school, at work, in our church, and within this community. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we make our prayer. Amen.